Well, peace be with you. Hey, what a, a wonderful opportunity for us as a family to uh, just get used to some new rhythms as we uh, today uh, started our, our new uh, gathering times of 9, 11, and 6. So I just want to personally thank you guys for being flexible and for uh, just contributing to these new rhythms that will help us to sustain more and prayerfully continue to be the sending church that God has called us to be. And so uh, for, for all of us, this is a different time for us to gather. And, uh, and for some of us, this is the first time not coming to the 10 and, and, uh, or to the 11 having worship service. So we just thank you for being so generous and so kind and, and doing that. And we just believe that this is going to set us up better for the future to just love those who volunteer, as well as to give us more space in between service uh, to get to know each other. And to, to hang out. We're also excited about what the Lord is doing on the south end with our, our church soldier in Carlisle. On Easter, they had this kickoff service, amen? And uh, it was just nothing but good report uh, from what the Lord is doing there. They had over 200 people there uh, for Easter. And this is a church that just a few months ago uh, averaged maybe 30 or 40 people. So we're seeing life in that building, have wonderful testimonies. And that's, that's you all sending, right? That's what we have been able to do together as a church. So. I want to continue to, and to pray that the Lord would just continue to work and that we will be uh, conduits of his mercy and his love. So pray with me, and we're just going to dive into today's text. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather this morning and to submit under your word. Thank you for your love and the way that you relate to us as your children. And I pray for those who are here today barely able to make it in, overwhelmed with maybe shame, guilt, fear, feelings of not being worthy. I pray, Lord, that through your word that you, Father God, will remind them that you, that you love them, remind them of the work that you did on the cross, allowing Christ to take our shame, allowing us to have forgiveness of sin, and not only did Christ save us, uh, from something, but he, he saved us to something, to everlasting life, abundant life. He clothed us in his righteousness so that when you look at us, Lord, you don't look at us in condemnation. You don't look at us wishing that we would just get our act together, but you look at us as a father who cares deeply for his children, as a father who has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I pray for that person who's just confused this morning, the Lord, that you would just bring clarity and give them the strength to wait as they wait for clarity. I pray, Lord, that you would take these five loaves and two fish and that you would uh, feed your people. Your sheep know your voice and a stranger they will not follow. Would you give us joy as we interact with your word? Would you allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to you? Oh, Lord, strengthen and my redeemer. Christ's name. Amen. So we continue to uh, look at this extraordinary sermon by Jesus that is given on a on the mountain to his disciples, to people who have uh, just begun to follow him, uh, people who were down and out, who were oppressed, people who were disinherited, some who were literally blind, uh, some who were literally deaf. Uh, some who were para uh, paralyzed and couldn't walk. They've encountered this man who was a carpenter for much of his life. 
this, this Jewish teacher who has just been going all throughout uh, uh, Palestine and all throughout Galilee uh, giving hope. And now they're following him. They're following him as sheep follow a shepherd. And Jesus is about to deliver the most amazing sermon. He has the mind of uh, better than any academician and the heart of a, a passionate street preacher who is just uh, all in people's grill and giving them grace and truth. And he's just doing an amazing work as he's teaching us the ways of the kingdom. And we talked about how the ways of the kingdom is low and cross-shaped. We talk, we've been talking about how the ways of the kingdom is countercultural in, in every way. And Jesus continued to teach us these countercultural ways by showing us today this kingdom truth, that kingdom citizens are those who have been astonished by God's love, are those who have been astonished by his mercy and his grace, those who have been overwhelmed by how he scandalously loves us, and those who are being made conduits of, of those attributes for people who don't know for people who have not experienced his love, who have not experienced his grace. And that's the main thing I want us to look at today is that God has made you, if you are in Christ, a conduit of his astonishing love. That, that his love has come to you to go through you um, so that the world can see. That he's called you to be salt and to be light so that people who are broken, distressed, People who are locked in, in their ways and in the patterns of this world can experience true life, true life. And Jesus helps us to see this by following this pattern that he's been doing since verse 17. And what he's doing is he's, he's given us an old command, a command from the scriptures, and he's not gonna undermine that command, he's not going to abolish that command, but he's, as he said, he's here to fulfill that command. He's here to show us a greater righteousness, a righteousness, and this is Matthew 5, 20, is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. Like they low-key kind of took God's commands and like hijacked them and gave them their own interpretation so that they can manage it and kind of have power over God's people and be the example of how to keep it in an incomplete way. And Jesus is taking it back. And he's like, I'm not coming to change the command, but I'm coming to show you the deeper fulfillment, the deepest meaning of that command while also challenging you to live it out so that you can be behold, so that you can continue to grow in maturation, so that people around you can see God's grace and experience his love. And so here Jesus is going to give us two commands. And in essence, what he's teaching us to do as kingdom citizens is how to engage difficult people. And difficult people can fall into two categories here, uh, specifically by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. The first is a person who is an evildoer. This is a person who seems to be malicious and attentive, whose heart is cold and callous towards God. And specifically in this context, because we are Christians, they are seeking to persecute us. They are seeking to cause harm, to marginalize Christians. And the second is a person who he considers an enemy. A person who has declared themselves to be just against us. So Jesus wants to teach these people who are lowly, who are despised, who have been disinherited, who have been broken. How do you engage people when they don't like you and they have set their heart against you? Man, yo, what he's about to teach us is uncomfortable. 
I mean, this week, as I engage these words, I found myself, I'm just being honest, all right? Welcome to Soldier. Looking for every possible loophole I could, right? I found myself repenting. I found myself like begging God to just continue to give me a heart where this is just the, the natural way that my heart goes. And I praise God that he has helped me to, to do that and grow to holiness. But Lord, I'm like, Lord, I want more of Jesus. Because Jesus is teaching this in a way that, that shows that this isn't natural. That this is supernatural. But this is what he is doing in his people. This is what he's helping us to become. So how do we respond to people who are different? And Jesus is going to help us to do that. So I'm going to walk through these, these passages kind of verse by verse uh, with some speed. And then I want to give us three uh, motivations and applications in moving forward. And so verse 38, we see that you, Jesus says that you have heard that it was says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what Jesus here is, is giving uh, them is he's pointing them back to the law uh, which was given to Israel. In multiple places in the law, uh, there was a part of the law that was kind of known as the, the law of retaliation. So, for example, we read in Exodus chapter 21, verse 23 through 25, these words, if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. And so what Jesus is doing is he's acknowledging that law, but he's trying to show us, remember, the deeper meaning, the heart of the law, the true intent of the law, which was never meant to be personal retaliation of vengeance. When God gave this law to Israel, it was at a judicial level, at a legal level, so that those who were set up to be judges over Israel, that they would exact punishment that was not excessive uh, nor lean. In other words, he was given a rule of thumb in how things were to be handled in a court. So never in the Old Testament do we read about Israel applying this law to personal situations and just like maiming people, right? This was more of a judicial principle that says do not overexceed uh, someone in punishment. And what's probably happening here, along with the, the religious teachers and leaders of the day, is they're teaching personal vengeance. If somebody hits you, you hit them. If somebody causes harm to you, you can do exactly what was done to you back to them. And Jesus is saying that the way of the kingdom is not a way of looking to see how can I exact justice, how can I get revenge. He says it's actually the way of mercy. So in the Beatitudes, right, those blessed attitudes in verses 1 through 12, one of the, 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 the blessed attitudes, one of the, the, the means of flourishing in the kingdom of God is that God is creating a people, a kingdom citizens, uh, a kingdom citizens that actually give mercy when they could give justice. Blessed, flourishing are the merciful, for they shall receive, right, mercy. Now, remember, Jesus is living in the Holy Land, a land that was promised and given to God's people. But he's, he and, his, and the people of God are not living as the people who have power. They're actually a, a minority group, a marginalized community, who are constantly being reminded that they are not living out the, the, the way in which God in, intended for them to flourish. Because of their own sin, uh, because of their, their pattern of habitually uh, of not following God, they have come under a foreign territory. 
uh, through his, historically through the Assyrians, through the Babylonians, and now we see uh, through the Romans. And so in 63 BC, we see that Rome takes over the Holy Land. And this land, which was once seen as holy, is now kind of desecrated. And they are, live, are now a people who are under foreign control. So as we read these words, imagine being on this hill, being reminded constantly in your own land that you are a marginalized people, a broken people, who when you see Roman centurions, now, sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're sweet, sometimes they're, they're, they're kind towards you, but many times they're turning their nose up, they're doing little things to remind you that this is their land. That they're being kind by allowing you to still practice your own customs, but they don't have to. And so imagine that you're on this hill, and even in this group, there are people who are in this group who used to be zealots. That means that they were of a political party that believed that they were to usher in the messianic kingdom by kind of doing a low-key terrorism on the low. And so they would have these daggers and they would try to do all these things to just like kind of uproot Rome. And now they're following Jesus and they're learning this new kingdom principle of, of non-violent res resistance, so to speak, or non-violent love. <laughs> And so imagine being on this, and Jesus says, listen, they told you eye for eye, two, 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 but I tell you, don't resist the evil. In other words, stop uh, looking for an opportunity to get evil. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. To be slapped on the right cheek in this culture was the ultimate sign of disrespect. Number one, that means a person backing you. Right? Most people are right-handed. So if you slap on the right hand, I mean, somebody, they, 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 they thought about that, right? I mean, we all know. It's one thing if somebody gets a little tick for somebody slaps you. It's like, no, they didn't, right? But when somebody backhands you, it's like, oh, oh, you tripping. <laughs> right? And so, so, so this is the image of someone backsliding you. But in, in, uh, in, uh, in Middle Eastern uh, terms, this was the ultimate sign of of disrespect. This is a person saying, you are not dignified, you're self-human to me. In fact, even in the court of law, if you, if one person was to back slap another person, you have the right to take them to court and that person would be judged. But Jesus says, hey, don't even take them to court. Turn the other cheek and let them slap you on the other cheek. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, it's saying that kingdom citizens, people who have been given a new heart by God, people who are Jesus' disciples, who have now submitted to him and say, I want to learn to live like you, are people who value God and his kingdom more than their personal image or reputation. It means that they are not quick to respond tick for tat. That they are willing to be dishonored if it means that God will be glorified in He continues. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. So he says, if someone takes your shirt, give them your cloak as well. Now cloaks, and, and these times was an outer covering. And uh, if, if you were to give someone your shirt and your cloak, um, it probably would mean that you would be naked. 
So Jesus is saying, go above and beyond and uh, uh, what an evil person is asking you to do in order to show them a different way. Now, Jesus' audience and the people that he's teaching probably see this as hyperbole and humorous. And I think that there is a sense of this which is hyperbole and, and, and humor, okay? So Jesus is not necessarily, I don't believe this is him necessarily, in every situation and circumstance saying, do this. But this is wisdom with literature. This is a sage. This is the, 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 the type of literature that we read in the Proverbs, right? Where Jesus is inviting us to a way of, of wisdom, a way of discerning, a way of saying, I'm going to do all that I possibly can to be merciful. But not in every situation I'm going to do this. The reason I say that is in, uh, in this culture, if you walked around nude, uh, you were in trouble. <laughs> Right? And uh, you were shamed, and your family was probably shamed for generations. So they probably would have chuckled, and Jesus was like, no, I know, this is funny, but I'm serious to a degree. Go above and beyond and show yourself merciful. Go above and beyond and show yourself merciful. And he's saying if they sue you, if they take you to court, go to court with an attitude that says, my possessions and my belongings don't define. My possessions and my belongings don't define me. I'm not about to be in court with this hard heart, this callous heart, and I'm not going to try to take it to you to reverse it and to put you in a situation where I'm taking it from you. I'm going to do everything I can in that courtroom to be as kind as possible. And if that means I lose this court case so that Christ can shine through me as light and as salt, I'm going to do it. Then he continues. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So again, this is an image. I just want to paint a picture for you. Say that you're out on this mountain. You're being taught. All of a sudden, as you're eating with your family, hearing Jesus teach, there's a break. And some Roman centurions come by. And these Roman centurions see that you guys are just comfortable and eating. And they say, hey, you. We need some help. And they then call you to come to them and to carry, help carry their bags a mile away um, to where they live, which was common in Israel. Because it was a thing under Roman law where if a Roman soldier asked and solicited you to work, even on the spot, where you were expected to help them out. Now, historians say that sometimes they took advantage of this. And sometimes they would ask uh, Jewish or Hebrew per persons to do this um, on Sabbath. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, this is evil. This is wrong. They are intending to shame you. They are intending to take your pride. I'm telling you that kingdom citizens are those who have been so captivated by God's love, so astonished by the grace that which they have received, that they are learning to instead of fight back, instead of doing it with the wrong attitude, to say, all right, let's go. I can walk a mile with you. In fact, here's another bag. Do you need me to go another mile? He says to the one who asks you to take from you, you give more. Now again, these are biblical principles. Um, <laughs> Jesus isn't telling them that if, uh, if a person comes up to you who's evil and they hear that you've received this teaching to clear out your bank account and live a life of poverty and make sure that you're, and, and your wife and your kids can't eat. Right? Uh, no, the Bible tells us elsewhere. Like, no, it's a man's responsibility and job to do his best to provide for his family. 
Um, but Jesus is saying this is more of a hot heart posture. So this is how he tells us to treat those who are, uh, are evil, is to go above and beyond and give mercy. And then he's going to do the same thing in verses 43 through 48 when talking about uh, enemies. And so he's going to take the same kind of principle. Here's what was taught in the law, love your neighbor. But it was also being taught by religious leaders to define neighbor as those who were part of your own ethnicity, Jewish people. And so it was commonly referred to, hey, you love those who are your own kind, and if they're not your own kind, you can hate them. So this beef between the, the Jewish people and Samaritans, uh, religious leaders would have said, that's okay. Instead of going through Samaria, go around. If you see a Samaritan, you don't have to be kind to him. And Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is foolish. I tell you, love your enemies. And so we see Jesus telling this parable, right, of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is actually the hero in the story. Jesus is teaching this, this message of your neighbors, whoever is near you, whoever is closest to you, whoever is created in the image of God. Love everybody, right? And that's hard to do. This is not easy. It's not easy to love a, a co-worker who knows that you're a Christian, perhaps, and who hates the idea of Christianity because when they think of Christianity, they think of someone who is, who is a bigot and someone who is against freedom and who is against livelihood on your own terms. It's hard to love a person who is sneering at you, jeering at you, and, and who hates you because you are professing that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Jesus has given us a different way. And also Jesus is showing us a, a different challenge in the way that we see love. Because when we see love, we think of something that is, is about feelings and emotions. But love is not about feelings and emotions. Love is a, a posture of the heart. It is an attitude that changes our actions towards someone. Love is a willing commitment to the welfare of another person. It is treating them how Christ treats you. I'm going to say that again. Love is a willing commitment to the welfare of a person who is created in the image of God. And it is treating them how, how God treats you. The fact that he loved us and loves us while we were yet his enemies. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to point out here in this text. He says, by loving your enemies, you prove that you are God's child. He's not saying you earn your righteousness. You earn uh, uh, God's love by loving other people. No, we are saved by grace through faith, right? We cannot earn our salvation. But he's saying that those who have learned to love in a supernatural, astonishing way are those who have been loved in a supernatural and astonishing way, and it has transformed them. They are no longer conformed to the image and the pattern of this world, but they have been transformed. And this has happened by the renewing of their mind. God has given them a new heart and a new way to think. And it's so radical, it's so crazy that people are looking at you and saying, this person just dishonored you, yo. They just talked about your mama. He just gave you a pay cut when really you deserve to, to have a, a pay increase. And instead of lashing out, instead of gossiping, instead of hating, instead of trying to get even, you think about it and you say, Okay, I may use the means that I'm able to use within certain systems, but more than that, I'm going to have a heart that's going to love them and to be kind to them and to be supernaturally merciful towards them. Why? Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better than my reputation. Jesus is better than my image. Jesus is better than, than my feelings. 
I have been so captivated by God's love. I have been so changed by the way in which he relates to me that I am no longer a spiritual orphan. I am a child of his that I am going to do my best through the power of the Holy Spirit to respond in a way that I know that God wants me to respond by faith. How else will people who don't know Jesus come to know him? But by us, Seeking to be like our Father. And how is our Father? Jesus said, look at, look at the weather. Notice that it both shines, the sun shines on those who are righteous and unrighteous. And God allows the rain to pour down on those who are godly and God. Could you imagine if God was petty? And like you look at your weather app and it's like, oh, for Christians today, it's going to be sunny. But for non-Christians, it is going to be lightning and thunder, right? It's going to be a flood like Noah received, right? No, God gives common grace. He allows the sun to shine on those who follow him and those who don't follow him. He allows the rain to pour down on both the farmer who is doing right by his workers and the farmer who is mistreating his workers. And God is saying those who are minds are those who are growing to live the same way. In Psalm 145, I believe we have this on the screen, we, uh, we read this, these words. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful Lord. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he made. This is a very real, real sense of what we call common grace, where God is, there's a level in which we, everyone gets to experience his grace. Everyone gets to experience his mercy, even those who, who don't believe in him and who are agnostic. And here's a word, Christians. Like God is not calling us to be prunes and self-righteous and mean to people who are lost. Like Jesus, it was said of him that he hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with people who were often shamed in society because they did not have it together. He was friends with sinners. And perhaps the reason our, our, many of our churches are, are closing and, and struggling and, and, and baptisms are low is because we are creating these holy kind of communes, these holy, uh, unholy communities, really. Well, we think that we should be in these holy huddles and anyone who doesn't live like us and have our worldview, we should scorn and just turn our necks, our heads against and, and, and just pick it and, and, and be hateful and spiteful and not have relationships with. We want to be a church where people who don't fit in and who challenge our beliefs are, are welcome to come and to see, to sit and to wrestle with and to be skeptics. And if you're skeptic here today and you don't want believe what we believe in, I genuinely want to say welcome. You are not a project. You are not someone that we want to turn our nose up at, but you are someone that we just want, we want you to sit here and to learn. And we may disagree. We, we may land in completely different places on every end of the spectrum. But I pray that we can be civil in our disagreement. And I pray that as you hear about what we believe in what we learn that you can say I disagree with them but there was a kindness that was there 
there was a lack of condescension that was present, that I know that they are truly after human flourish. And I hope that when we interact with you, that we can say something simple. So Jesus is pointing to the weather and saying, be like this. And then in verse 46 and, and 47, he uses a picture of, of, of a tax collector. <laughs> and if I'm Matthew, so Matthew used to be a tax collector. He uses it in a negative image. He's like, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And Matthew's going along with the sermon, like, man, that's challenging. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> because tax collectors had a, a bad rap, and they often ripped off people. And Matthew's like, dang, Jesus. Like, you know I used to be a tax collector, right? The kids and some were like, man, yo, have mercy on us. <laughs> but Jesus' point is that people who don't know him love their own. And if we have been indwelled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and if God lives on the inside of us, then we should be able to love uh, people who are different than us. And right now in your mind, there is probably in heart a check. Because someone, that person, or that voter, that just came to mind is the exact person that God is inviting you to humble yourself before and to treat as a human being made with dignity and to allow his love to shine through your body towards that coworker, that friend, that neighbor is exactly what Jesus is at. The person that you have deemed as indespicable and unworthy is the person that Jesus is now looking at you in the eye and say, I have called you not to tolerate them. Not to simply be kind towards them. But to astonish them with love. Oh, it's quiet. It's tight and it's right. I know you're looking for loopholes. Everybody's got a butt. I have some buttons. Look, guys, quit with the loopholes, right? And just hear Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, those who are in the faith, what are you doing outside of the ordinary? If you live only in a Christian bubble and you are not seeking to be salt and light and to influence people who don't know him, he's like, what good is that? Don't even the Gentiles, and he's not meaning this as a, like a, as a put down. He's saying, don't even people who are not Jewish do this. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, be whole. Be complete. Three quick, three quick applications. Three motivations to use uh, language uh, that I uh, read John Piper use on this text. I just want to kind of steal that language. Three motivations for, uh, uh, for us loving our enemies. The first is this. The way in which we come to this place is doing this extremely difficult thing that I would argue is absolutely impossible to do without Christ. You can be kind to your neighbors or tolerate your neighbors, but to truly love is impossible because the type of love that, is, that Jesus is talking about is a divine love, a love that flows from God the Father. To truly love in a divine and consistent way occurs when we sit in the reality 
that we once were enemies to God. Part of our self-righteousness, part of the yuck factor that we have, is because we have become arrogant, stuck up, and out of tune with our own depravity and lostness. We see everyone else as people, perhaps, that just can't get it right. And if they were more like us, this version of us now, then everything would be okay. And the folly in that is that we all were enemies to God and difficult, difficult people. And the only reason that we came to have friendship with God and to be faithful is because God, in his mercy, showed himself to us, gave us a new heart, gave us life, gave us grace, gave us mercy, wooed us to himself through his kindness. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still helpless, we were helpless. Listen, you did not save yourself. You did not come to faith because you figured it out. Romans 3 says that you were lost, you were blind, you were pitiful. You were dead. We are helpless. And at the appointed moment, God, Christ died for you who are ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before the foundations of the world, a lamb had been slain for you and for me. And we don't achieve our salvation, we receive our salvation. So take time to remember that you once were. Second, God's grace is not simply for sinners. God's grace is for the saved. Currently, right now, there are things in your life and there are things in your heart that don't please God. That there are things in all of our lives which, which we need to get together. And on this side of heaven, there will always be things in our lives that we need to get together. But here's the scandal of the gospel. That though we are incomplete, though we are broken, though there's always some dysfunction and sin in us, that God loves us perfectly in Christ Jesus. That God is gracious to us. That every day he astonishes us with more mercy and more love. That he sings over us in spite of us. So how do I love someone who is on a different end of the spectrum than me and who is difficult and who is persecuting me? It's by seeing myself as a person who still, without Christ, who doesn't have it together. And that's why one of the best gifts that someone can give us, though sometimes people give it too much and it becomes too much, it's like, yo, chill out. It's actually when someone looks us into the eye in love and tells us, hey, you're still a sinner. The best, one of the best gifts that God has given us is friends and spouses and people who love us, who remind us that when we poop, it doesn't smell like roses. <laughs> and some of us, we reject it and we get defensive and we get angry and we go into self-pity. But I'm telling you, 
The Proverbs tell us to hold on to a person who speaks the truth in love. So see an angel is just like hitting a little thing and some music. It's like, preach, pastor. Preach. I'm serious. Because we start to deceive ourselves and to think that we're farther along. No, you are not. Like, we all will always have deep things that we need to lay before God and allow the Holy Spirit to grow us in. And that's okay. As long as we're moving towards God by His grace and in community, that's a gift. Because then we can talk to people as people who need grace, as one who has received grace, to people who need grace. Second, is we want to be motivated by the fact that God tells us that he is our father and that he will provide justice for his kids. God the Father takes care of his kids. And part of the reason we feel like we have to retaliate or, or defend our reputation over and over is because we think in our minds and in our hearts that if I don't set this person straight, they're going to get away with it. And Romans uh, tells us that that's just not true. Romans 12 tells us don't repay evil for evil. Evil will not be overcome with evil. It will be overcome with good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He's saying, chill out. Come to me. Know that justice will be served. But it also has an interesting phrase that, that Paul borrows from the Proverbs in verse 20. He says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heat fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And some of us hear this and we're like, okay, feed him, give him something to drink, because God is going to go mortal combat on him, right? <laughs> Like, we see that, we think of like the Mortal Kombat cheat codes, where it's like, God's gonna burn their heads with fiery codes. Yes, oh, I could do that. I could definitely be kind with them. If God's gonna be like, Oogin, right? If God's gonna go Street Fighter on them, I could definitely be kind to them. As long as he's gonna go Street Fighter, and that's not what the text is saying. This was an image that was uh, often used to depict a person's conscience being convicted. He's saying, you focus on me and the grace that you've received from me. And you be a conduit of my love to other people. And know that I have the power to bring conviction to that person and change. I have the power to melt their heart. Part of the problem is, for some of us, we got a list of people that we don't want their heart to melt. We want them to melt. And part of growing in the gospel of grace is being honest about that, but not staying there. It's pursuing Jesus with such veracity, with such, it's hungering and thirsting after him in such a way that you say, Lord, I want you to change my heart to actually see that person who deeply damaged me and hurt me and who betrayed me to come to know. I want to be like Stephen who prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. I want to be like Jesus as he hung on the cross who prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Who prayed for the, the same people who just stripped him naked, which would have been shameful, so shameful in that culture. The same people who whipped him 39 times saying one. The same people who put a crown of thorns on his head. The same people who embarrassed him in front of his mother. 
The same disciple who betrayed him for a few pieces of silver after he fed his dude for free in the wilderness and like cared for him and loved him and, and took time from the same people who betrayed him. He says, Father, forgive him. Don't hold it against him. in such a way to believe that he can change our hearts and make us to be such a radically different people that, 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 that we will fill up the city of Louisville with such an astonishing love that people say, these people are so different and so crazy that the harder we hit them, the deeper they go in their Savior. And I want that. I want that joy. I want that peace. Their face is shining like the sun. Something unique is with them. And even though they, I don't believe what they believe, there's something so inviting, that's broken and that's hurting you is broken and that's why they hurt you. Because they're finding their identity in an image or in something that they believe. If I can just obtain this, I will be okay. I will be validated. But we as Christians know that there's no outside validation that can soothe our hearts. That the only thing that can soothe our hearts is Christ and us hiding in Him. And that the worst things about us have already been said and nailed to a tree. And that they've been buried. And that in Christ, we are his beloved. And our honor and reputation and image is not something to be fiercely protected. Something to be cherished because it's in Christ. And that was the third thing. The first it happens to those who love Christ and who are growing to love Christ more than themselves. We are called to have a measure of healthy love for ourselves. Second commandment, love others as yourself. But that should flow out of us first having a deep and abiding love in God. And it's his love that teaches us to take care of ourselves and love ourselves in a healthy way. God's invitation to you, beloved, God's invitation for me is to come back to the cross. It's to allow it to come from here to here. It's to interact with our friends, our spouse, our kids, our roommates, our professors, our coworkers, in a way that says it's not about me. That yes, I am important. Um, yes, I am created in the image of God, but God's honor far, far supersedes my own. Every Sunday we celebrate what Christ did for us, that he was slapped and he turned the other cheek, that he could have held down fire from heaven, angels from heaven, but instead he was merciful. We break bread, which reminds us of his broken body. We drink wine, which reminds us of his shed blood. We dip the bread in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we do this as a reminder uh, of what Christ did for us. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, had a quote. He was preaching on the same passage as one of his most powerful sermons about love. I believe we have this for, on the screen. 
And he says this, hate multiplies hate in a descending spiral of violence. And it is just as injurious to the hater as it is the hated. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend because it has both creative and redemptive power. And God is saying, don't be like everyone else. Be creative. Embrace this creativity that God has given you in living countercultural. And the way you do that is by looking at how Christ won us over. And it's through grace and through love. If you're not a Christian, we're actually not to partake in this meal. We're so thankful for you. Uh, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, but this meal is specifically for people who have placed their faith and trust in Christ as, as, Jesus, as, as Lord and Savior. Who believe that only he can make us right with the Father. Many of us as Christians have said what you have said. We have not participated in this meal um, as we were still wrestling with who Jesus is or we just believe differently. In fact, some Christians are not going to come and take communion as well because the Bible also teaches that we don't take this meal in vain, uh, that it's not healthy for us to take this meal to reflect on the goodness of God to us without making our hearts right towards other people. So if you're a Christian here today and you have habitual, intentional, ongoing hatred in your heart towards another brother and sister in Christ, I just want to invite you to spend this time praying. Prayer actually changes the way we feel about our enemies and people. That's why Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. It's not so that they can come and see everything the way we see it. As much, I believe, as it is for God to conform our hearts to love them in a way that he loved us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy for your kindness. I pray, Father God, that you would just help us. This is a difficult passage. Uh, help us, Lord, supernaturally. You've poured the Holy Spirit in our hearts, Romans 5, 5, so that it can be softened and so that we can experience your love. Help us to experience it. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Help us to experience the fruit of your Spirit. In Christ's name.